I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. Today, we're going back to the West Edge Design Fair in Dallas, Texas, with designer Chad Dorsey. I started Convo by Design in response to a complete lack of design-focused content coverage prior to 2012. When I started this show, it was to purposefully and thoughtfully transport you everywhere design was happening. That was even true until March 13th, 2020. But since then, and after that, something changed. Everyone with the latest smartphone provides some sort of coverage from every event known to man. My priority since then, as it has been from day one, was to bring this content to you packaged so you felt in some small way that you were actually there experiencing it firsthand. That is my commitment to you. I will keep doing that. And because of this, I have had to continually up my game a little bit because every day there's a new podcast, digital video outlet, or e-design platform producing more and more design-focused content. I appreciate the challenge. It keeps me motivated. I don't know if that's weird. Is that weird? Anyhow, I started a new extension of the show called Perspectives, featuring creatives who are doing things a little bit differently. This is one such conversation from the West Edge Design Fair, actually the first edition in Dallas, Texas, in September of 2022. This conversation is with interiors and product designer Chad Dorsey. Chad has been on the show previously, back in 2019, when we caught up with him and his La Cienega Design Quarter Legends installation at Maribon Rugs on La Cienega Boulevard. We reminisce a bit about that and a lot of other things. This was so much fun. For those interested in seeing some of Chad's work or the video from this conversation, check the show notes or uh, for links and uh, it'll take you to it. So enjoy. That is coming up right after this. For over two years now, you have heard about my partnership with Thermosol. So you know that I have extremely high standards for Convo by Design partnerships. Thermosol is an extraordinary partner because there is this rare combination of intuitive design with exceptional performance. They have state-of-the-art facilities located in Round Rock, Texas, and a company that's about to celebrate 65 years offering excellence in form and function. The Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series presented by Thermosol is a programming feature that regularly showcases remarkable design talent and how they do what they do and the manner in which they do it, allowing designers to emulate successful strategies and make smarter clients who know what questions for of top professionals. If you want to understand more about this company and their history, Please check the show notes for the link to episode 221 with Thermosol third generation CEO Mitch Altman. He explains the history behind the company and really th that's what makes this company so special. Combine that with the cutting edge technology, their world class domestic facilities, and you have a company delivering predictable elegance upon which you can rely. And nowadays, how important is that? Thermosol.com. Welcome to West Edge, Dallas. Thank you. First one. 
Are you having are you having fun so far? You having a good time? Bar's open, right? Yeah. Hey, look, if the bar's open and the sun's shining, it's automatically a good day. Right? Okay. Good. Um, Chad Dorsey. Hey, Josh. How you been? I've been well. You know what's funny? I was trying to figure out when the last time you and I spoke, and I figured it out, the last time we were in person was in L.A. at Legends, and I recently watched that video again, and I, learned, I relearned all about Eileen Gray. That's crazy. Where did, those, where did those large format paintings wind up? Oh, you know, they've wound up everywhere. Um, I have two that actually we made into a headboard for a client. Um, another one of the designers that works with me, he has two at his house. And then recently I, was, I pulled them out for another project to see if they would work as an artwork piece for their dining room. It rolled up in my storage, but I have two panels left. Did it work? Uh, no, we decided not to use it, but anyway. I, I loved that installation. Thanks. Yeah, it was really great. And actually, I kind of thought about that again this summer. Um, a couple of friends of mine were in France, and they were at uh, the villa, Eileen Gray's villa. And uh, it kind of brought back all those memories as well. That is one of the things that I think is most important, ultimately, about design. Design events, design houses, is, is the, you know, you, you feel it's ephemeral, temporary, when you're doing it, especially when you put something up and you break something down within a 30-day period. But then you realize, after all the work that goes into it, but still, when you can look back at it years later and realize the value of the design, that design was, was completely timeless. Um, you know, you really do. You look back at it and it, um, it becomes, it does, you, don't, you forget the hard work and the, the sacrifice and the craziness that went into it. And it really becomes, hey, that looks really good. And at the time, sometimes you're, you don't really, you don't appreciate it. Honestly. No, yeah, no, exactly. Um, so Chad, thank you for joining me for this. This series is called Perspectives. It is a it is a one on one. It's you know w when ideating this thing, it was kind of like thinking actor studio, you know, and getting that behind the scenes. And for you, it's really interesting because as I was thinking about our conversation, you know, you and I have known each other for quite a while, and we've met each other at so many different events, design houses, showcase houses. But I've also seen all of the other things that you've done that I want to get into, you know, the idea of you doing your first virtual showcase house. Kips Bay, 21? 20, 20. 20. I mean, really, does it matter? We shouldn't even date the years anymore. We shouldn't even have numbers for them. <laughs> yeah, you forget. Well, the last three in particular, because I got to be honest with you, like being on stage at West Edge, this is the first time you know, in in front of a group in three years. Now I've I've done panels and I've and I've I've done live interviews before, but it's it's been three years since since we've been at West Edge. It's kinda like a muscle. You forget a little bit how to do these things. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like they've been going on so I've <laughs> in Dallas everything seems like it's been carrying on no matter what. <laughs> we just do it. Is that right? For sure. I think we had a few months where we were down and then everyone was back to kind of trying to do it, just no matter what, just trying to power through it. 
how has design changed Texas, North Texas, Dallas? How has design changed over the last three years? Well, I mean, I think that design in general has changed, how we go about it, and just our process has just become different, where we're all struggling to kind of meet the needs of our clients. Clients uh, have multiple houses that they're trying to, you know, they're either trying to move to a, a, a rural location or have a second house somewhere that they're trying to fulfill what they, you know, their their weekends and, and make it an enjoyable part of their life. Um, so I think expectations are, hey, we want to do this and we want to make it happen. How can we make it work with the current uh, environment where we can't get product as quick as we want? But you know, that's a, become a boring topic for the last two years, but it's a reality and just something that we've, we've had to do. Um, beyond that, I think um, you know, now it's like now we're all designing things virtually where we're doing presenting everything online on Zoom calls or Microsoft Teams calls. I, I've had a two-hour call this morning for a project in Virginia, and you know, it's just—it's really just reality that we're all like designing projects for everyone around the country. It's no longer singularly, and people are contacting us. Like, I got a call from someone from New Zealand yesterday that wants to do a Zoom call with me to talk about design for their place in New Zealand, or. Um, uh, an optometry clinic here in North Texas, they reached out for me online, which is an unusual sort of uh, person that would call me, but it was really interesting and inspiring to talk to them online and help really kind of uh, drive their uh, design uh, just with one image. One of the things that I've watched you grow into is this skill and ability to craft a narrative that extends beyond the design. And I can, I can really draw a, a, a straight tangent back to Legends and Eileen Gray. But then also um, the design house for Kips Bay in 2020. So I remember this because it was done live on YouTube. It was a live presentation that you walked everybody through. And you actually, I don't know if you were forced is the right word, but you were forced to, to tell the narrative, to tell the story. You created a family. What was the family's name? The Bushins. Yes. And as you walk through this, this story of the Bushins and their, their home and their kitchen and their family and who it was designed for, I, I feel like, you know, design houses, the narrative's always there. They always create like, okay, here's who you're designing for, right? But then there's also that part where you can decide yourself who you're designing for and the story maybe is in the background and then people just who come through get to just see the design. In this case, you were forced to put the narrative out there and to tell the story and then the story meets the design in one presentation. It felt like TV. Really? I didn't, I didn't see that, but uh, anyway, you know, I think for me it was impossible to create a design without any sort of reason. There was no background. You just carte blanche, you could do what you want, but that's really hard, you know, when you don't have any sort of program. So you have to create the program. Well, the best way to create a program is to create a client. For me, that was the best idea. So we dreamed up this client that, uh, you know, travels the world on their yacht and does not cook. Um, they, they pretend to cook, but they host these lavish parties. But in the meantime, everyone's in the back kitchen preparing the meal. And so that was the idea. And that drove the design and it all made sense. Is, is, that, is that fun for you? Is that something that comes naturally to you? Or did you have to kind of force 
yourself to, to do that backstory? You know, because you didn't have a client that you could talk to. Honestly, I think that's what really helps me. I love that part. I think my uh, design team kind of thought I was crazy. They just wanted to put the great stuff together and pick cool furniture and lighting and all that. But I don't, I don't think like that. So I had to have the story in order to do the design. So I think that's fun. It's kind of like fantasy. As a kid, I built cities and and design, did drawings, and um, so I built these cities and everyone, I built these houses and have my cars, and um, that was, and everyone, this, this family owns the car dealership, and that's why we have all these cars over here, and it's like everything was had a reason, and that's, that's how I think. I'm curious how your designs from when you were a kid, how your cities would stand up today. Um, I think they're pretty good, because honestly, <laughs> actually I loved it, and I look back at some photos I have, and that's all I liked. I only liked my cars and my blocks, and I drew elevations of buildings, um, and I got into uh, retail when I was, I did this till I was in eighth grade, and so um, I would take magazines and cut out like stores and paste them on the elevations, so I had these total like shopping malls and everything I would create with <laughs> this store, <laughs> it's silly. But it's very realistic where my friends would come over, they want to play with their cars, and they play, want to play Crash Up Derby, and that wasn't what I was interested in doing. I was creating towns and cities. So it's interesting. How long have you been in Dallas now? 22 years. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I ask that because, you know, Dallas is, is kind of like a second home for me. Um, I spent nine years here. I was in broadcast at the time. And I, I first moved here in the mid-90s and then left early 2000s. Dallas is one of those cities that at that time, between the info projects and the fact that you know land was so cheap, you could just take something down and start over. Very LA-like in that regard. But you're talking about building a city and, and the city continues to grow. How has that been for you as a canvas to grow your your own your own practice in design. Um, you know, Dallas supports a lot of different things, and um, I think you know I've seen uh, the city expand and be in different parts of the uh, the of the city over the 22 years doing my projects. You know, just see different different aspects come in and go out and see neighborhoods gentrify and become really cool and then become normal like boring normal is what I mean when I say normal and somewhere else is the cool place to go. So, um, you know, I think that that's interesting. And, um, I, you know, I, I don't know that my design has been impacted by that. I think just my name has kind of filtered through all those cracks through the 22 years and maybe now people recognize it. Whereas I, I, you know, I think my design has always been a little different than Dallas. And I think just now, I think, um, it's being more, uh, noticed well it's interesting too because you know i re i recall some of your some of your work you know in in high rise and a, a design in high rise in dallas is is not unique now but you know what 10 years ago it was yeah and i remember when you and i did our first conversation it's been five years ago and that we talked about that. And those high rises I did early in my career as when I had started my own business. And um, they were really cool. Um, um, that was 2008 through 10. And um, 
I had a lot of fun with those. It was very involved. They're very personal. I was involved in every detail. I did the construction of those projects. Um, looking back now, I look at them and I think, oh, they're great. They're still great. One of them particularly I love. But at the same time, um, I'm doing another high-rise where we're designing the entire tower now. And we're doing the entire residential tower. And it'll be um, really a special project for Dallas because it's in the right location. Um, something different that Dallas has never seen before. And the approach to the interior architecture and the interior design is much more residential than anything we've seen in Dallas. So I feel like a lot of the high-rises in Dallas have been uh, forced on Dallas, being this really modern, beautiful structure. And, um, or they're um, super traditional. So we're working on something that's really going to be special. Have you seen the architecture meet the standards of design here in, in Dallas and Fort Worth? Oh, yeah. I mean, we have world-class architecture. Yeah, but we, we've talked about this before. You know, it's been five years since we talked about this, but having lived here too, you know, at, at a time, people would make the comparison between L.A. and Dallas, Dallas being very much like L.A., whereas Houston was more like San Francisco. You know, if you can make the, the comparisons, right? And I feel like Dallas was always knocked for not having architecture that met the high, high standards of design. And, and I think now, you know, Dallas has become this, this world-class design city, and it's, it's kind of grown as you've grown your firm as well. You've, you're an inextricable part of that, and it's, it's got to feel pretty good. It's, it's pretty special. Oh, yeah. I think um, the, the architecture in Dallas right now is really great. We have amazing uh, buildings. You know, we have the, uh, some of the older buildings like the Meyerson, and, um, uh, but then IM Pay's old buildings, but then we have all the IM, um, uh, Rim Cool Haas with the Portland Art Center and just uh, uh, Renzo Piano. Uh, so a lot of great stuff happening, especially on the commercial side, but also it's kind of getting into the residential piece too, which I really like, I respond to. Um, so that, that's exciting. Um, and I think when people come here from all over as they're moving to Dallas from many places, I have so many new clients from New York and California and even Europe, um, it's really cool. To, and I think their reaction is, is surprising because it's not, it's not what they expected. Isn't that funny? It's all about perspective. It, it really is. Um, when, when, you come to, when you come to Texas, you've heard so much. And we were talking earlier, you know, because I'm in, I'm in Tulsa. And it's so funny. So I was at an event recently back in L.A. And I got a lot of, ugh, Tulsa. It's like, really? When was the last time you were there? Never. Okay, I totally get it. It was the same reaction that I got when I moved here to Dallas in the mid 90s, you know, from friends back in LA. It's like, ugh, Texas. When was the last time you were there? So it's really interesting. You are listening to my conversation with designer Chad Dorsey. We'll be right back. If you've been listening to Convo by Design for a while now, you have heard me tell you about Article. Great style. Really, it's as simple as that with Article. Things have been challenging for design professionals and their clients for, what, two years, two plus years now? You know this already. What you might not know is that it doesn't have to be if you're looking for exceptionally beautiful modern furniture. Article provides a simple and easy way to creating a beautiful modern space because Article works direct with their manufacturers on production of unique and stunning pieces. Then they work directly by providing this well-crafted design directly to you. This direct relationship means you aren't wondering where your furniture is and you're getting it for an incredible value. 
What could possibly be better than that? In many cases, the shipping is flat rate, which means no surprises, right? Even more, their culture and service are rooted in their core values. Customer obsession, doing it differently, ownership mindset, winning together. If you're a designer, architect, or residential developer, you must check out their trade program. Discounts, special support, and exclusive perks. Article has the beautiful modern furniture you're looking for at an incredible price, at an incredible value, and you need to check them out. Check out article.com, or if you go to the show notes, there is a specific link which will take you, if you're in the trade, directly to their trade program. You have to see it to really believe it. Thank you, Article. Shifting gears, so you have, you have a line in Strike. Tell me about the origin of this and tell me about the growth specifically of, you know, developing and growing a line and a brand like this in, in pretty interesting times in general. Well, uh, the fireplace line came almost just very um, arbitrarily, really, um, just doing architecture and interior architecture and houses. We would always design our fireplaces. And um, I think what ended up happening was I had a situation where we were doing the interiors for a project and the firebox was not centered in the room. And it caused me a lot of uh, really angst with the furniture layout. So I created an asymmetrical fireplace that we had made that I really liked. And um, I thought, well, we should make a symmetrical version of this. So I designed one that went with it. And after that, I thought, well, maybe I should do a whole collection. So I created the rest of the collection inspired by the California landscape. And um, at that time, I thought maybe my fabricator might market them for me. But they weren't interested. They had a partnership with another designer on a fireplace collection. So um, I just called my branding company. I said, hey, let's create a brand out of this. I want to do something with it. Got all the copywriting together. And this was uh, three years ago I started doing this. It took me about a year to get everything together, the marketing material. And um, I started marketing it with my publicist. And um, we just pushed it out there and started getting some reaction. And then was selling to my design, my clients. Um, and got some publication in some rooms with it. and. Um, it started taking off. Now we have uh, about five sales reps around the country representing it. Um, and we are launching our second collection this fall, um, which is very different than the first. And then last spring we launched a, a, a vanity collection that's part of it. So they're stone blocks. So that's exciting. And we have a really exciting partnership coming up next year. That we'll have to talk about next year. Yeah, I can't talk about it yet, but it's going to be really cool. <laughs> Backing up a second, Talk to me about, it's funny because you have conversations with designers. If you talk to 10 designers and you ask about creating a line, creating a brand, creating a product, you will get 10 different stories about how to do it. And some of them are definitely wrong, but some of them could be right. Some of them could be wrong. You don't really know because it's so unique. When you think about this, knowing you the way that I do, you're, you're very deliberate in process and you kind of really want to plan this thing out. How did you plan this thing out? Why fireplace? You know, and I, and I get the original idea as you, as you explained it, but that's something that it's not heavily trafficked. That's not, it's, it's not a rug. It's not a, a tile line. It's not a, you know, there's all these lines, poles, hardware, but this was different. Yeah. Well, this was something I truly designed. 
um, that I truly was involved in the fabrication and, and the original origin of. I think, you know, a lot of times um, you need to start with something that you know, uh, I think, and that you understand well. I think, I mean, I would love to have a fabric line or a tile line or something like that, but I had known nothing about that process. So I had done fireplaces before. It made sense. I was used to putting them together. And, you know, it was nothing outside my wheelhouse. And so I think that's what made it a successful sort of uh, product. So you did all the design, and then how, where did the product come from? Where is it manufactured? Um, then and still, have you, have you had to change manufacturers? How did, um, how did supply chain, I'm throwing just a ton of questions at you, but how did supply chain change your process? Um, I've been fortunate. Supply chain has not really affected my process too much. It has selected my stone sourcing a bit. Um, but primarily most of my stones come from North and South America. I can get um, a stone from Europe as well. Um, my fabrication is currently, I have two fabricators in Texas and one in Mexico. So from that standpoint, logistics are pretty easy. Um, and we're looking for other ways to fabricate. The second collection does a lot of different things, uh, things I've learned from the first collection that maybe have been more difficult than I would like, but that's okay. We've, we've worked through the process with that, but the second collection I want to be easier to handle. That's one of the biggest struggles of what I have in the first collection, just the, the sheer, uh, the sheer uh, size and weight of some of the pieces. So along those lines, size, weight, clearly there are shipping issues that need to be considered. Then I, I would imagine there's also a fair amount of breakage that takes place, and I'm curious how you deal two-part. One with re replacement product in a reasonable amount of time, and the other part of that is customer service is so important right now, um, you know, as, as far as damages and selects and reselects and trying to get product in for an install. How have you how have you handled the customer service side of it? Um, well, the breakage isn't as big of a deal because they're such large blocks and they're crated and impact really well. So we haven't had to deal with that too much, and um, thank goodness. But um, the customer service part is definitely a struggle. And at the beginning, I was doing all the customer service and the orders myself. It was two or three orders, and suddenly, you know, just then we started getting inquiries. And I was like, holy cow, this is really a lot of work. I'm a terrible sales rep, terrible. It would be the worst. And so then it became, I need to hire someone to do this because I can't do it. Uh, so that's when I realized I needed help. It wasn't even managing orders, it was managing potential sales. And so, um, and then I had a day job. So we got, uh, we have a great uh, team that manages all that. And we ha finally have a very organized system. And I'm less involved in that. And that's a good thing. Um, I think we're going to have competing panels today. I love it. That would be exciting, wouldn't it? Um, how did you, how do you go about creating an entire sales organization. I mean, because it, it kind of feels like that's where you are right now. Like you're at the start of creating an entire sales organization for, for a product like this. A, is that a little daunting? And B, how does that compete with your day job? Um, it scares me a lot, <laughs> honestly. Um, I'm constantly um, 
stressed about it. Um, just what, how we're managing through it and making sure we're getting following through with our customers and getting the sales that we need to and then taking it to the next level. And what is the next level? Where is it going? And so that's why I'm excited about some partnerships that we're introducing. And um, I think that will help me sort of go to the next level. And here's the other thing that I was, I'm curious about. As you look at how you want to roll this out, Geographically, because you mentioned you have what five five reps around the country now. How did you select which regions you wanted to attack first? Well, I mean, obviously, I'm in Texas and then in California, so that seemed like the natural sort of placement. But uh, most of our inquiries were coming from Texas and California. Um, I advertise heavily in Texas. My products are featured heavily in Texas, so that that's a no-brainer. It's quite easy. Um, I, luck, I luckily have a, a sales rep in Texas that's an independent sales rep that she has a showroom, so she calls on architects and interior designers. So she's in front of them every day. Her name's Jessica Pinzon with Folio Co. She's amazing. She kind of took my business and ran with it and she really appreciated that I was a startup and she knew the effort I was putting into it and the volume of, of time and money and sacrifice I, I gave for it and so she's been instrumental in the success of, of that and so she's introduced me to people she handles Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas and Louisiana and then she's introduced me to a, a sales rep for the mountain states and out of Denver, Egg and Dart and then we have Harbinger in, in Southern California and then we have another independent sales rep covering kind of the Midwest I, I, I love hearing you talk about it and it, it's really interesting too because you know each one of these conversations that we're doing here at West Edge we're recording them they become episodes of, of Convo by Design. I, I think any designer who doesn't research this way to learn how other designers are doing what they're doing is just, is just crazy. Because it feels now, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like right now a whole new method, new means, new ways of doing business are, are actually being created in front of us. 100%. I mean, look at what happened during uh, the pandemic with the expert. Um, I'm, I'm a designer on the expert. And just this virtual uh, virtual meetings, it's an hour meeting, and you have no obligation to the client after the hour. You tell them your brain for an hour. I give them every thought I have. I give them links to product to buy, and then I'm done. And it's kind of a very interesting process. And this week I did a, a, an hour meeting with them, um, a, second, a client I did a year ago. And I was like, oh, I know you. After, I didn't recognize the name, but then when I saw her face, I knew her. And so it's very interesting design process. And I think that's just one way that design's different. You know, we're, we're offering information for one hour of time, which I wouldn't have time for an hour of time with someone locally, honestly, to drive to their house and have an hour and never see them again. It seems like a lot of first dates. It is, but it's also a first dates, and then you just move on to another first date. Does that, does that turn into longer-term clients, or really are you doing it for the sake of it's an opportunity for you? And, and I would imagine that there's something refreshing for you about not having a long-term engagement, being able to just talk for an hour and then being done with it. 
Yeah, and so I set my schedule. I have a, um, a few times a week that I have these meetings. They're typically after hours or on the weekend, just a couple of days I lot that if someone wants to book, it's great. Um, it's great. It's great to get your name out there to other people. They do really great with social media and marketing. So that's really great. For visibility and I do think that maybe you might eventually develop a, a client out of it how do you how would you feel because I'm sure this happens and I, maybe it doesn't matter to you at all but how would you feel if you you do a one hour like this you give them all these ideas and they they take those ideas and they they go with they go to a lesser designer who, who's, you know, who costs less on an hourly basis. I, I'm trying to imagine, because it's, it's, a, it's a unique concept, but do you feel like the design, the work is kind of bastardized at that point if somebody else is doing it? I'm, I'm not designing for them. So I'm just giving them ideas. It's like your family member calls you and say, hey, what do you think about this? It's, I'm not creating a design. There's no way I'm creating a design for them. So. No, no, but that is, in many cases, ultimately turning into what will be someone. Okay, it's kind of like Pinterest, right? You can go to Pinterest and you or Instagram, and you can pick out all these things that you see. That's not design because it's not designed for your space. It's ideas, right? But if someone takes your ideas and then turns it into into their design. I guess that's, that's got to be kind of refreshing for you, too, is being able to hang up, you know, hang up the phone, to, to end the virtual meeting and kind of be done with it. Yeah, and there's, uh, there's a little bit of reward um, with it, too, because you've, sometimes you feel like you really solve someone's problem. Maybe they don't know where to put the sofa. You know, they can't figure out where to put the sofa, and it's a furniture arrangement issue, or it's a lighting issue, or some, some weird quirk that they can't figure out. And it's, it's, you're not giving away the candy jar. You're just giving them a little advice. It's almost like therapy, design therapy. For who? You or them? Uh, for, for them, I guess. <laughs> the other part I wanted to ask you about is, you know, something more, more nuts and bolts and how it affects the design business. You know, it's, it's funny because being at, a, at an event like this, I don't think if you, if you, if you asked everyone in the building, I don't think you would get even 25 or 30% of the people acknowledging that this week, this week, yesterday, we averted a major, major potential disaster for the business in the, um, in the railway union agreement. What's staggering to me is that the industry is still so, and it's not just, it's not just design, but it's any industry that revolves around product moving from one location to another, that we are still in such a fragile state. I wanted your perspective on that from, from two sides. One as the owner of a brand who's shipping product, and the other is as a designer who is specifying product who still has to deal with damage reselects, discontinuations, things not showing up when they're supposed to, or even showing up in a reasonable, what we would consider to be a reasonable amount of time. That has probably been one of the number one issues that just wreaks havoc with creatives in the industry. 
And I'm interested in, in how, because you're very pragmatic. You've always been very practical in our, in our chats. And I'm curious how you're addressing those issues and, and how you're kind of not just necessarily addressing them now, but addressing what you see happening in three months, six months, 12 months in the future. Well, I think first we have to be smart as designers about what we're presenting to our clients um, and what the real timeline is. So try to be realistic from the design standpoint, not based on price. That That's another whole other thing. And I think that's that's the first thing. But second is they'll show them something that we need to, to get in six months that's gonna take a year. Um, but then also alternate solutions, whether it's, um, there are other ways to ship things. There are other ways to, um, to get something that you need um, just by asking. I think a lot of people are afraid to ask because they got an answer already. Um, a good friend of mine always says, you already have a no, go for a yes. So I try to do that. Have, how have you been leveraging local resources, products made in Texas, um, local workrooms, local artisans? How have you been using that? Well, I've been using that for a long time. We're, we have this amazing furniture maker here that is, the product's amazing. It would rival any of my finest uh, pieces that I buy from someone else, a vendor. Um, so he makes great pieces for us, but I have to be smart with him too because um, he can do two to three pieces for me on a project. I can't overcommit him on every project, so I have to realistically look at that. He works with other designers too that I know, and I just have to be careful. Um, and then I love local artisans. That's part of my project, um, really. Um, I, I try probably to have 30 to 40% of design pieces from um, from my office where we design or fabricate, have things fabricated, uh, yet other pieces are, you know, custom made and maybe they're from around the country. It's so funny and I'm not calling you out. I think, I think it's hilarious though. <laughs> the funniest thing, like when you mention a new sales rep, you'll throw her name out there right away. It's like, oh, so-and-so, she's great. You probably have a, a, a deal where, you know, she's got one fireplace line and maybe that's it. When it comes to workrooms, I don't know a single designer who's advertising the workrooms they're working with. No, I'm, I'm not telling I know, you. No, I don't like to do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me because I'm not telling you. But it's funny because they're worth their weight in gold now. Yeah, they really are. So I, I constantly, my, my workroom that does my drapery, I'm, I always start with, you're my favorite. I'm, I'm your favorite, I know, because I, I'm always asking for some ridiculous timeline. Yeah, it's crazy. The one workroom that I always throw out there that I have no, no problem doing it is, is a, it's a funny story. It's um, Warner Brothers. So the Warner Brothers studio, I don't know if you remember this, but the first year that we did West Edge in Santa Monica, they made my desk for us. So it was the same group that, that built the Tumblr for Batman. Because they, you know, when they're not doing TV and TV shows and movies, they're making things one-offs for the design community, which is amazing. Nobody knew that. It's the coolest thing. But the, it's, mostly it's cost prohibitive because it's Warner Brothers. Right. But it is a, the rise of the local workroom and the local craft shop and the local, you know, they're not, I guess the best way to explain it is they're, they're not artisans, they're craftsmen. Oh, yeah. They are, exactly. And that takes us back 100 years. You know, really kind of sets... But they have technology involved with their craft now. But that takes them back 100 years. 
where we're working with people that are local, we're running down to do something. And we were doing that before, but I think now it's like, it's just as special for me to design a piece and have it made locally by this amazing mill worker than it is to buy something from Italy that has, um, you know, this chic sort of brand behind it. So I'm curious about that because, you know, it's, it's, it kind of started, do you remember um, years ago, every conversation at every trade event, there was always one where designers would get together on stage and complain about millennials. It was like, how did, what do millennials want? How do we design for millennials? How do we, how do we, how do we what are their budgets? I will tell you, it's really interesting now having the, the benefit of hindsight to look back on that. The one thing that millennials came with in design, and maybe it's because, you know, the old joke, maybe it's because they were living in their parents' basement. They could afford one nice thing. So they would, they would get that really nice thing that they absolutely loved and then surround it with Ikea and, and Target. And, you know, they would surround it with, with lower quality, perceived lower quality, perceived, you know, lower value merchandise, but they'd provide it with, surround it with other things. That idea, though, of this high-low mix where, you, where you're getting things that you absolutely love that is crafted by a local made in America, made in Texas, made in, in the Metroplex. There's a certain value to that now. Is that, do you see that starting to rival traditional values of made in Italy, made in France, made in Europe? 100%. People love talking about a craft, someone that's... Uh, really special that's local where they are they'll, they'll mention it all the time i mean you know, i think that's just becomes part of the experience um it even goes into antiques and other things like going to round top or something like that um you know no one really cares if it's made in a factory in the middle of america or in the middle of texas but if it's made by some artisan in indiana or in the middle of texas that's really cool um, or if you found it on a trip somewhere, that's cool too. And I think really our lives have become a bit more personal, especially with the pandemic. All those things we take with us, they come, they're part of our experience in life. And I think that's some of the design that we've been doing the past two years where everything's more personal. People will spend more money on things that are more personal, that are experiential because they're in their home and we're so much, we're there more now, even though we're able to travel we still enjoy time at home because that's the one thing we did this project while we were in the pandemic and we love this part of our house. It, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, it's kind of funny because every, every year, kind of my thing here at West Edge is I love to introduce a new desk. And the one that I have in our booth this year is, is funny. It means it's personal to me because I made it myself during the pandemic when we couldn't do anything else and I couldn't specify it anywhere else. I just made something and painted it myself. And it's funny because you can kind of see, um, you know, in California where adult use of cannabis is, you can kind of see in the paint where I'm, there may have been an influence here, here or there. I love it. But what I was going to ask you about is you mentioned Round Top and the ability to find things versus not find things, now that Roundtop has been, has been discovered widely, prices are up. I mean, people know it's like, it's like Fredericksburg, you know? It's been discovered. Where do you go now to find new and next? 
Well, I mean, Roundtop's amazing. There's so many things to find there. And I think from designer's uh, pocketbook, like or our tool toolbox, that's an amazing resource. And uh, I don't think that's gone away. And if you look at the cost, it's still, it, the prices have gone up, but it's still a great value and interesting things from all over the country. But, you know, I think um, I buy a lot from a dealer on Instagram. He posts on stories and I Instagram him immediately. And I know other designers that buy from him, like Kelly Wurstler and people like that. So there, it's a it's a legitimate thing. And um, for me, that's really the only way I have time to shop because I'll stop and look at Instagram for a few minutes, and then he'll pop up with his story, and I'll click a few clicks, and I want that. And sometimes it's sold, sometimes it's not, and then it's shipped to me. And it's a lot quicker than going to a showroom or going to Round Top. It's so funny just hearing you describe that. It, it sounds like it's actually gotten easier, not more difficult. For me, that, that I've been doing that for the past three, three or four years, buying from this, this person, and um, it's, it's amazing. For me, it's, a great, it's, it's, it's actually, it underscores my sort of uh, viewpoint and what, uh, what defines my projects. I mean, four years ago, I got this wire sculpture of this lady, and she's uh, got this crazy hair. And it's just a, it's like a, a, a rebar sculpture, and it's painted orange, and we named her. Uh, we named her, um, what did we name her? Uh, Carlene. And we put her on this shelf on the side of the living room. The owner had no idea they were getting it. When we came to the reveal, we had her. And they, were, they loved her. They'd never seen her for her life. But it was not an expensive piece. But those things really sort of underscore, hey, what we do in our spaces. Do you do all your online shopping and specifying? Or have, have you gotten to the point where you have other people doing it for you? Oh, no, we do all that. And my, you, my you, studio does it. No, what I'm saying is you personally. No, like, I can't do that, no. Okay. <laughs> I, well, I was going to ask you about that. Like, do you, because since you and I have gotten to know each other, I have become so accustomed to hearing you say, yeah, no, I do that. No, I have to do that. No, I, I got to, I have to. You, how do you sort of take yourself out of it a little bit so that your team, and I know it starts with, with, good, with good hires, but that was my, I could have this whole conversation by myself, but that's my next conversation. That's the next question rather, is it has gotten so hard to hire. How do you, how do you find good people and how do you keep them? Well, it goes a lot like my business model where um, my clients are referral. Well, my best employees are referral from great, um, like my fireplace representative in Dallas, she's an amazing resource for great people. Um, and so I've found a lot of amazing people through her or other friends. Um, so that's kind of how we, we manage through it. And, you know, it's millennials. A lot of my amazing team are their millennials. And I actually think a little differently of them than I did five years ago. So I've learned, I've learned how they work. And um, I don't think of them as, as, a, as a name like millennial anymore. You don't? No. I, I mean, I recognize that, but I don't necessarily think of that. So. It's funny because, you know, to your point, after every interview I do, inevitably at some point the, the designer will say to me, hey, by the way, if you hear of anyone who's looking, 
you know, whether they're in Tennessee or California, everyone's looking for good people. And I, I, I feel like generationally, we're, we're at a really interesting time right now because we've got this confluence of, of millennials and Gen Z who are kind of fighting for space right now. And it's, it's an interesting time to be in the business because being in a creative business, uh, quality rises to the top and, and you can see it. And I, th I think that that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, I think, you know, I've really discovered how I have 14 people on my team. So it's, it's when we talked five years ago, it was me. And, you know, so it's a very different team. Um, but, you know, I've really, in the last year, I've really recognized um, the value of each individual and what they bring to the table. I have one uh, designer who's super talented and she's amazing, but she works a lot like me where she's all over the place. She likes to have her hand in everything. And then I have another designer that actually, um, he um, is older than me, but he's, he likes to dive in deep and likes to be on two projects. And it took me a while to realize his strength, but it's, his strength is two great projects. Her strength is like being able to work on everything. So it's like, how do you balance the team members' um, strengths with um, the thing that they're not as strong at? And that's okay. We all have our things we're better at. I love that. And for evidence in one of the things that you're remarkable at, and one of the things we're going to do when we break here, is there's going to be a meet and greet with Chad at his, at his booth over at 317, so you can see Strike, you can see the Fireplace Collection. Um, and if you like the conversation, I hope you do. Every one of these conversations from West Edge is going to be turned into a podcast episode so you can go back and listen and, and glean new information. And hopefully Chad revealed the source of his workroom and didn't, didn't realize that maybe if you listen back, you'll, you'll, get, a, you'll get a clue. Um, thank you all for joining us, Chad. Thank you for doing this. Absolutely. We are living in a time of incredible growth both technologically and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Thank you, Chad, West Edge Design Fair. And to all of you who came to the show, thank you. To Convo by Design sponsors, thank you. Thermosol. Article Furniture, York Wall Coverings, Moya Living, and Franz Wigner, you are remarkable partners, and I cannot thank you enough for your continued support. And of course, thank you for downloading, subscribing, and listening to the show. Thank you for all the emails of support and the great guest submissions. Seriously, I love them, and it has allowed me to find some truly amazing talent uh, to showcase here for you. So thank you. 
Uh, please remember why you do what you do and for whom you do it. Designers, architects, artists, product designers, showroom managers, publicists, magazine editors, publishers, set decorators, and everyone else that makes our industry stronger by the day, I do this for you. That's why I do it. Be well and take today first. Mm-hmm.